0: Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone,
1: BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio.
0: Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Good morning, everybody. We're all asking ourselves, how can we make money in this economy? How can we do better in this economy? How do we do business in this economy? Am I ever going to have any nest egg to put away? Am I spending all of my savings? So... What it comes down to in business today is how well do you sell? And today we have um, Douglas Coker, who is the president of Summit Selling Systems, who will talk a little bit about, you know, the best sales tips and give us a little bit of an inside look into the Summit Selling Systems and um, what an authorized Sandler training licensee has to say to people to help them in business. Welcome, Douglas.
3: Thank you, Cindy. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. So, yeah. let's get right to this. What made you go into sales? I mean, did you always know that you were going to go into sales? I mean, did you know this as a child?
3: No. No, not at all. As a, as a matter of fact, I was so clueless back in the day that I, I thought uh, selling was for other people, and it was, frankly, somewhat beneath me. I uh, grew up with a, with a marketing background and, in fact, a marketing degree, and that's what I did for the first seven years or something in my career. And the, I asked the short version is that I got bored to tears sitting behind a desk working on the same whatever, whoever I worked for, working on the same product or service day after day. And it seemed like all the salespeople who were calling on us for various things were having all the fun meeting different people, uh, making more money, and it just seemed a lot more attractive to me in a bunch of different ways. So I, I, I transferred myself into sales.
2: Well, that's. I think that at the end of the day, how good a salesperson you are really generally has to do with how much income you bring in for a company, if not necessarily yourself. So... Um, you know, conventional wisdom would say that, you know, people who are really bringing in big revenues, people who can say, well, I'm bringing $2 million into the bottom line, they're really bringing in $2 million to the bottom line, and therefore some power has to come along with that, right? So, yes, yeah, some power, some some rewards,
3: some independence, some freedom, some leeway. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of things. All kinds of things, and a feeling of accomplishment, of course.
2: Yeah, definitely a feeling of accomplishment. I think that what I've seen in the corporate world for all of these years are the people who sold well, or the people who really were promoted up the corporate ladder because of their, because of the of the financial rewards that they brought into a company. And, therefore, they got more perks and more power and more promotions. And if they knew how to motivate teams, it was even better because everybody would sell, 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 and that would mean more money for the bottom line. So my opinion is is that sales is really the heart of um, of revenue for a business, and uh, there's got to be a lot of rewards that come along with that. But a lot of people might be asking the question today, whether they're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, or even in corporate sales today, um, how the selling role changed in the economy. And I know that we'll spend some time talking about that, because you have some great insights, Douglas.
3: Well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm hoping to share them with you. I'm looking forward to it. Where, where should we start?
2: Well, you tell me, when the economy went bust, and, you know, we're looking at 2008, and now we're seeing, you know, a repeat of what we saw in 2008, and my feeling is it's going to be a W for a long time. So far, I've been right. Um, You know, what, you know, what do you teach clients in terms of, you know, telling them that there's still money to be had in this economy? What? You know, I'd be curious to hear what you say. Let's start with the introduction. When people are really scared about not making money.
3: Okay. Well, the and obviously we're we're uh, laser focused on the sales part of people's lives and and professions and businesses. So what we share with them from from a top line view is that they they need to be able to sell arguably better and, and more frequently than, than ever. So if they're, whatever business they're in, if the, the, if the pool, if their universe shrank, if their market shrank, but there's still a market for whatever product or service they, they provide, then they're going to have to be that much better at selling it because there's fewer dollars being spent on whatever business they're in. Therefore there's fewer prospects and and so on down the food chain, so they just have to become better and stronger and more determined uh, maybe that's even at the top of the list. they have to be more determined that they are in fact going to be strong salespeople
2: are they more, do they have to be more flexible what we're seeing and you know I'm seeing a lot of I interview a lot of service professionals I know a lot of service professionals, and what I seem to hear a lot of and it's certainly the case for um, you know, our public relations firm is it's working four times as hard for like a quarter of the money. And that's really been the general rule. As I interview attorneys and I interview accountants and I interview, um, you know, even graphic designers, it, it just seems that people really have to work. You know, if not twice as hard, four times as hard, and really kind of expect less because there's really less money in the pool to go around. What would your point of view be about that? Well, yeah, I mean,
3: they, they, I, I can't deny that or, or dispute that. That the, the facts are the facts. But you can you could even drill it down to the metrics in any business. I'll just pick the graphic design one that you that you mentioned. Really doesn't matter any business. Is that if a few years ago. Their average unit of sale was, I have no idea what, but we'll say $5,000. And today, it's $2,000. And three years ago, they used to have to speak to three prospective clients to get, to get one new client. And now it's 10 prospective clients to get one new client. Well, I can't do the math fast enough, but you could see that that would, in, in fact, entail quite a bit more activity to, in fact, get to that $5,000 worth of revenue. I mean, you can apply uh, formulas to that and, and actually develop um, metrics for what, what level of activity you need to do to either maintain the income that you had before uh, or surpass it perhaps. But yes, it might end up netting out that you're working four times as hard, but it doesn't have to be for half the money.
2: Right. Well, I mean, but people are paying. People are paying less for services because there's so many different um, indicators and dynamics that you know affect the employment crisis that we're all watching right now. Um, you know, and again, uh, just affecting business and consumer spending at large. So, you know, it's. There really is less money. I mean, you know, you look at our stock market, you look at our banks, you look at, you know, what company earnings are. You know, you look at where, you know, stocks have dwindled. And there really is less money in a pool. So I'm not saying that there's no money to be had because there's always money to be found somewhere, I guess. But there's definitely less of it to find, isn't there?
3: There is. You know, there really is. And what it also speaks to on a case-by-case basis is that the, the product or service provider has to really be able to show the value. And in our system, what that means is that not how great and wonderful your product or service is, but more to the point, how uh, painful or miserable the prospect's life is going to be if they continue to live without the provider's product or service. And the better and stronger that you get at that, then the less and less important that the price becomes. So as an yeah. example, we, in, in our business, there, there is no doubt that we're working harder, hopefully smarter, but definitely working harder and longer to earn the money that we were making a few years ago. But on a case-by-case basis, we're not charging a penny less than we were a few years ago. So, so we provide the same value, we solve the same problems, and the problems are just as, as deep or as rich as ever, if not more so, and you just have to be, as I said before, more active to find those people who have the problems attached to what, what you do, what you provide, and then be able to uh, help them come to the conclusion that they, in fact, can't live without it, or that they'll, I shouldn't put it that way, that they'll live a lot better,
2: and With your less service. problems okay um well in order to be in order to do sales, you have to have certain characteristics. Would you say that? Can everybody be a salesperson or are there certain important characteristics of a strong salesperson?
3: there are yes there are uh, certain strong characteristics, and I think that anybody can be a salesperson if they unless they're just absolutely determined and hell-bent uh, to not become one, in which case they never will. But people who are reticent, people who are not, quote-unquote, people people, people who are a little shy, uh, whatever, the, whatever the opposite characteristics are, they, they can, in fact, be trained and coached to become very successful salespeople. But they have to have some kind of driving force behind it. But yes, there are some common characteristics that we find.
2: What what are some of those characteristics? Well, they are in in no particular
3: order, but I'll I'll give you the top few. We look at uh, because part of our our business, uh, at the risk of uh, doing a commercial, which is not my intent, but we we do do recruiting for for companies with a very deep level of qualification. We look at 33 behavioral characteristics. I won't go through all of those. But at the top of the list are things like uh, responsibility. What we mean by that is that if you were to just pick any salesperson off the street or any business person off the street and ask them what they, how much money they made last year, and then if you went on to ask, was that a good year or a bad year, and they said, well, it was, it, was, it was a bad year. I made a lot less. You'd say, well, how come? And then they would just say, well, it was the economy, it was the the company website was lousy, uh, the brochures were no good, and they have um, you know, 101 excuses and reasons for why they didn't succeed other than themselves, and they're not taking full responsibility for their actions. And that's a big, big problem in sales. So that's, that's one example. Another one is, is desire, a you know, fire in the belly kind of thing. And by that we mean, are they truly ready, willing, and able to do what it takes whenever it is to to succeed? The fact is that most people are not. There are many things, including for for me, and I'm you know I'm, I'm obviously living this 24/7 that are uncomfortable for me, and there are many things that are uncomfortable for for other people. But that's but, so what? You have to do them anyway, and you have to do them consistently and you have to act as if they are, in fact, the most comfortable and the easiest and most natural things in the world.
2: Right. And I would imagine that the Summit Selling Systems help coach people into trying to conquer some of these weaknesses. Am I right?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. We we, we do. And when... People, if, if and when they do think of sales help or sales training or something like that, they're thinking uh, in terms of how to close better, how to deal with objections, how to you know how to prospect better. And, and while those are important, and we in fact have a pretty good system for those things, the real the real genuine help, where we're able to make an impact on people's lives and businesses, are when we're able to uh, to affect them on their belief side and their attitude side. So right, Douglas, example, we're gonna
2: take a quick commercial break and we'll talk a little bit more about sales characteristics when we come back. Um, we are with Douglas Coker and he is the president of Summit Selling Systems. Don't go away. Hear more about how to sell after this commercial break.
4: News. News. Opinion. stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
0: welcome back to stars of pr with cindy r if you have a question or comment call in at 1-866-472-5788 Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, and we're talking about sales. And we're talking with Douglas Kolker, who's the president of the Summit Selling Systems. And we were talking about some of the characteristics that, you know, go with a great salesperson or maybe some character obstacles that might need to be investigated and coached. In people that would like to go into sales or sell better, and when we before the last commercial break, we were talking about strong characteristics, fire in the belly, as Douglas said, or um, you know some some weaker characteristics. So let's go back to the weaker characteristics because that's when I had to cut you off, Douglas.
3: It's okay. All right. So if you want to get into some of the obstacles, some of the things that get in the way? Sure. Okay the well there 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 are a lot of them as well uh, a few examples are one is what we call a a weak money concept by that we mean that the vast majority of us in in our society and and certainly I'm no exception were raised with the notion that it's a, it's impolite to talk about money so we you know we're not we're not supposed to ask Uh, how much somebody paid for their house or how much they make or, you know, anything about money. It's just considered impolite in our society. Well, you get into business or sales, and one of the very important things and frequent things that are going to come up is talking about money. And in our selling system, and we are very systematic about everything that we do, we talk about money much earlier on in the process rather than later. So what we find is that a lot of people come into sales or business with this hardwired uh, concept in their head because their mamas and papas taught them to not, that's impolite to talk about money and certainly impolite to ask about money, that they, when it comes time to do that in business, they, they struggle with it. And that's, that's a big problem. So that, well, that's, that's interesting
2: one. to me, Douglas. Um, on the most part, People who have been in business or have, you know, are experienced and seasoned in working within a corporate environment, money becomes sort of a part of your speak every day. So are you talking about somebody that's completely new to business, perhaps, or somebody that maybe never had any um, bottom-line experience?
3: Uh, either or. Either or, no. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not talking about just people who are who are new to business, because I'll... I'll, I'll so I give you a, an example. If we're talking about, um, uh, geez, I hate to do this, but there, there are some professions around uh, accounting, happens to be one of them that comes to mind, that's uh, notorious for having collection issues. You know, they, they do the work and they send out the invoice and then, then frequently don't get paid for 60, 90, however many days, and then they have to go chase the money. And that happens with a lot of businesses. So if there are accountants listening out there, please please forgive me for using you as an example. Well, the problem is is not a collections problem. It's a sales problem because whoever got that client in the first place, for whatever reason, and it might have been the discomfort that I described just a minute ago, they didn't talk about that up front. So the conversation needs to be early on something to the effect of, well, I want you to know that we chart you know, whatever it is that we're, our fee is going to be $2,000 a month for the work that we're going to be doing for you, and the way that's going to work is that we expect a check, or if you want, we'll hit your credit card on the first of every month in advance of the month that we're doing the work. Is that okay with you? If not, maybe we shouldn't get started. You know, that, well, yeah, I that would there. think that
2: there would be a contractual agreement that would make it pretty clear, you know, out of what the monetary terms would be. Um, right. But is that not the case many a time?
3: No, there probably is something that, that, that documents it, but it's left in the sales process, it's left to the very end, not to the beginning. So mm-hmm. let's say you're, in that, in that scenario, accountant or any other service provider is having that dialogue with a prospective new client, and they, the, the money part, if it's discussed at all, and you'd, you'd be amazed how frequently it's not discussed, yeah, at some point, they'll spend a minute agreeing that the fee is going to be $2,000 a month, but they won't be talking about can that prospect afford that, will they pay it, where's the money going to come from, how is it going to become our money, what happens if it's, uh, if it's a day late. You know, they're not going to have the full conversation about it. And If it's a non-issue, then it's a non-issue. But we won't find that out until after the first month's billing and the, and the check arrives on time or not. So, what okay, well, let me ask
2: you a cu- is... let me ask you a question. And again, I'm asking you a question just as if, you know, I were attending your seminar. Um, so I'm curious as to what the answer would be. I, I think you probably give some suggestions, but one of the ways that a lot of service providers get around that is by having you have to pay your first check up front kind of policy. So that way you know, a policy is a policy, and that's very clear. Do people fear saying that because they're afraid they're going to lose the prospect?
3: Absolutely. If for, okay. for, that, for, that re- for that reason, which is a very good point, and also for the reason that I mentioned where they're just, they're just uncomfortable talking about money. And it's, it doesn't mean they're, they're a bad salesperson or business person, It just means that, they're, that their mother taught them very well. You know, early on, and that's that. That those messages are hard are hardwired into people. Uh, another one is never talk to strangers. Well, if you're going to be really proactive about getting new business, you know, guess who you're going to be speaking with? you to be talking to strangers a lot, and you've got to right, be comfortable.
2: Right.
3: Now, of course, well, we were taught that. Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. I no. Please continue, Douglas.
3: Well, we were, taught, we were taught that, of course, to keep us out of trouble and out of harm's way, but it's, a, but it's a strong message nonetheless. So we grow up through life with a, or many of us anyway, with a reluctance to talk to strangers, and then we get into business or sales, and in order to grow and flourish and succeed, we have to talk to a lot of strangers, and we've got to be comfortable doing it.
2: We definitely have to be comfortable doing that. And I'm sure that the Summit Selling Systems has exercises and improvisations that help people get used to talking to strangers. Am I correct?
3: Yes, that's right. And, and I'm going to steal that word because I've never used the word improvisations, but, uh, but it's a good one. Yes, we do that. We do role plays. And what, it's, what it puts people in position to do is not only just generally speaking become more comfortable speaking to strangers to new people but it also teaches them the the communication skills to not only how to communicate more effectively but even arguably more importantly to understand what the other person is communicating to learn their communication style how they're most comfortable receiving their communications you know the the, the prospect not the not the seller and and there are very subtle signs that you have to look for and listen for and watch for, that that will give you clues as to how to how to quote unquote reach that person or not.
2: Right. Right. And I think that's really important. And no matter no matter what that you, no matter what you may be selling, it might not even be for sales. Like you could be selling, you know, something. Something else, and you always have to look for cues from the person that you're communicating with to see whether to read them, proactively read them, and see whether you could take things to the next step, right? I mean, you know, there are certain signals when a person might not be connecting, right? And right. I don't know, would you, is that the time to go for the, to close the deal, or is it best to wait for another time?
3: Well, if you sense that you're not connecting, then, and, and part of the, the skill set and the mindset that we train people in is to be able to recognize that as well. So that when that is happening, to in fact, you know, bring it up and, and, and do something about it, be proactive about it, not just hope that it somehow magically improves all, all on its own. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting, The you know, since this is all we do and have been doing it with, Thousands and thousands of people and hundreds of companies. What we find is that sales are won or lost on really the the, the little things. And if you could see me, I'm I'm holding my hands close together instead of you know arms length uh, apart. Not on the big not on the big issues, but really on the little things. And uh, I have an example that comes to mind. Should I may I share? Of course. Okay. We had a client that told a great story. Uh, you know, not not so much for them, but it is rich in its value for for the other people who can learn from it, and maybe the audience will as well. Is is they were uh, this was a, a marketing research company, and they were talking to a big, 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 huge bank, and it was a a large seven-figure opportunity. And there were two on the selling side, and there was one person on the on the prospect side from the bank. And they're having a quote-unquote great meeting. They've spent an hour together, and everything is flowing back and forth. And it seems, so far on this first meeting, like it's a it's a real natural fit, and and it's a, at least worth pursuing. So, at the conclusion of the meeting, the and oh, one of these two salespeople were trained by us. His colleague was not. So, at the end of the meeting, they mutually agreed that they should uh, schedule a second meeting to continue this and, and further the process. So with that, the prospect said, yes, I agree with that. And he got up from his meeting table, which was on one side of his office, and stood up and started to walk across the room to his his desk where his computer was and his calendar. They said, yeah, let's do that. Let's schedule the meeting. So he's halfway around the room, and my client's colleague, who we did not work with, Interrupts him in mid-step and says, you know what, you don't have to go look at your calendar. Why don't we just email you some dates, and then you can email us back, and we'll, we'll just do it that way. Now, that may seem like, like no big deal and, and nothing, but if you think about it, this guy got up from his chair, he went, walked across the room, he's now in the middle of the room, and the person who he was looking to, uh, to connect with and to set a second meeting with stops him, and now he's standing in the middle of a room not sure which way to turn and he was he was feeling very what we call not okay the punchline to the story is not only did they not ever set that second meeting but that that prospect never even talked to them again they never even got a second phone conversation much less a second meeting so they spent an hour talking about good business reasons to do something together and and all kinds of wonderful things but they blew it on the slightest little uh, uh, disconnect step and, and we hear about that all the time, those types of things.
2: Right. Was it just a bad day?
3: Uh, no. No, I mean, every, it, was a, it was a wonderful day until, somebody, until this person, for who knows what reason, uh, ill-advisedly uh, stopped the person from doing a, a, a proactive, connecting, bonding type of step and made him feel a little silly and foolish for having gotten up and, you know, stood up from his desk and walking to get his calendar. I mean, that that was the moment that, that killed the whole thing right then and there.
2: Yeah, so I think that you probably have to teach how to avoid disconnects as much as possible, and I'm sure that you do that in your exercises and training exercises and improvisations. Since you like the word so much. Well, we're at the end of our second segment, Douglas, and we have a couple more segments to go. Um, we, we talked a little bit about face-to-face challenges, but you know as well as I do that the Internet has had a lot of impact on how people sell and tools that people have to sell or maybe even you know coming into more disconnects because you're not face-to-face, but I want to talk about that. Um, in the next segment. So, listeners, please stand by, and we'll be back with more about selling right after this commercial break.
4: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com
0: saleability into profitability with the help of vr public relations visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307
5: movie premieres charity events tv specials radio shows
0: vr public relations we do it all www.vrpublicrelations.com
4: streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Get free advice from Crisis Communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866 472 5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, and we're talking about selling, 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 and we're with Douglas Kolker, who is the president of Summit Selling Systems. And, um, Douglas, we I began to tease the fact that we were going to talk about the Internet and the impact that it has on sales, but I want to go back to our prior segments for a second, and I just want to share with you that in the experience that I've had over the years that I've worked with really unbelievable top sales talent, I mean, you know, probably the best in the world, you know, when you're working at places like Playboy Enterprises and, you know, top New York television stations like WWOR-TV, you really, really see the creme de la creme, the best and the best. And it just seems to me that the salespeople who had the most success in terms of revenues and people power and, um, you know, and just the the ability to climb the ladder with, you know, great prospects for success were the ones that were very gregarious, sort of um, funny and entertaining. I think that humor is a very, very big part in winning people's hearts and maybe checkbooks when it comes to, you know, business-to-business um, deals. Um, but, you know, kind of irreverent also, not, you know, kind of humble, not, not being overly confident, well, more humble than overly cocky, I guess is the is the best thing that I can say. There's a balance between being a leader and being entertaining, um, being a little bit irreverent, making people like you, making people laugh, um, you know, so people can trust you. But if it's too much, if it's overkill, you get into this category of... You know, sort of pushing people off and turning people away. Would you agree with
3: that? Uh, absolutely. And the I'm, I'm creating a mental picture in my mind when you refer to the uh, the the media world that that you've um, spent so many years in, and the successful salespeople there, and the the you know the people people, the people who are gregarious and and are fun to be around, and and so forth, and. And those are the people who uh, have a sort of a leg up, because if you're the kind of person that people just want to be around, and you happen to be in sales, then why wouldn't people buy from you? Because they want to be around you. So, and that's and that's and that's wonderful. There, we're finding that there are less people like that who are well. Those people are not succeeding quite as easily as they have when everything and everybody was fat and happy and there was so much money to go around and buying decisions were made a lot easier and and quicker than you know you'd buy from the person that you like to be around it just made sense but now when there's so much more um uh, introspection and and uh, research and involvement and options and people are so careful and scared about spending a dollar that the the life of the party may or may not win out it'll probably'll it'll probably always get him in the ball game, but he may or may not win at least in in today's world
2: okay but because of uh, because of, there's not the same amount of dollars to go around well because they
3: people are just spending so much more time and effort to make decisions and are they're, they're faced with so many options and the the person who was the life of the party and was doing so well for so many years, you know, he may or may not, in fact, be the best option. He might not be providing the best option. The The other thing that you mentioned, which is a great point, was about the sense of humor. And we... Well, a sense of humor, and if you have that, and it's natural and so forth, it's, it's a wonderful attribute to have. But it's... But for those of us who aren't just truly naturally gifted in that regard, it's a, it's a risk, risky proposition. Because you say something witty or funny to, let's say, a group of ten people, well, maybe, let's say, eight of them. If eight of them find it funny, then you're probably a genuinely funny person. But what if you were selling to one of the two out of the ten who don't think it's funny? You know, that's, like I told that story before, it doesn't take much to kill a thing. So humor right. is something that re- that really needs to be used Pretty, pretty carefully.
2: Right. Well, I guess that for those that have been successful and have had great experiences with it and a great track record, they probably can increase their chances for, you know, taking that step in humor because it's worked for them before, and I guess that's the only way that you could really tell whether or not it's going to work. Probably not the best for somebody that is new to sales and has doesn't have the... Organic experience in um, entertaining a crowd right right yeah so, and, and
3: the, the, the other thing that you just said that touched on something else is that what we're you haven't asked but I'm sure it was, it' was probably on your list of questions is that things that used to work just a few years ago humor or you know dozens of other things that we could we could think of aren't necessarily working today I mean we're we're having more and more people in their 40s, 50s, even 60s coming to us for help. People who had robust businesses just a few years ago. And whatever it is that they were doing then, well, it's just not good enough anymore. So now they have to be more systematic about it. So whatever it was, humor or otherwise, you know, what, what used to work before may not necessarily be good, good enough today.
2: No, that's good advice, and I think that's probably true. And I think that the internet certainly changed some of the ways that people approach sales. So, and I'm sure that you incorporate that into your programs. I, I think that the internet might be great for lead generation and inbound marketing, but what it, you know, what's the impact over overall on on sales in general? Good, bad
3: uh you know it just it it just is i it's both it's good and bad for the people who are able to sell widgets or whatever it may be over the internet and sell them by the gazillions it's an it's an awfully good thing and what but, but what we find is that the internet is is a gold mine for people who can in fact uh conduct the whole transaction over the internet by that i mean there is no communication between human beings, you know, via email or phone or texting or whatever, and, uh, and that's not everybody on the Internet. You know, there are many, I mean, just about everybody has some kind of Internet presence, and if it's more for legion, like you mentioned, or for, to, you know, get the conversation started or to get someone to raise their hand and express interest, then from then on, then selling has to kick in. So if if you've got the kind of business where you could just do the whole thing on the internet and take human beings out of it or human contact out of it, then then you've got you've got a pretty good formula. Because the minute that two two or more human beings start interacting, that's when the good, the bad, and the ugly you know starts kicking in.
2: It's probably a lot less psychological stress if you could just sell on the internet, then right?
3: Oh gosh. Evolving. I mean, <laughs> evolves, I just, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, some people do. You know, it's interesting. Today, there are people that find the right formula, and they're using social media platforms, as you know, to really not do anything, but you know, sell their product, even if it's just a commission. And that's a whole other business model, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it it, it is. It is, and they, you know, they don't they don't need the help with. You know, with, with person-to-person interaction. But, but I'll tell you the other effect that it's had on, on, on us and on the people that we work with is that, and service providers are a perfect example, is that there are so many options now out there for the consumers, whatever, whether they're consumer consumers or business consumers, that the people who are trying to sell their product or service have that much more of a challenge ahead of them. So whatever it is that somebody's selling, if they're talking to, uh, prospect Joe Blow, well, not too many years ago, Joe would only have, arguably would only have the option of whatever salespeople got a hold of him. You know, maybe one or two options, something like that. Now, depending on what they're buying, printing as an example, uh, law services, any, you know, so many, now they've got at their fingertips within a matter of moments, They've got dozens of options, really as many options as they want, and that makes the selling so much, so much trickier and so much harder. But of course, that plays well to us because they have to, because the service or product provider has to be that much better at selling.
2: So to yeah, no, you I know. think that's 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 very, very true. Um. To, to our you we mentioned our we mentioned money and how we're high, hardwired with money as being a part of the discomfort in in making a sale because we're hardwired that it's not polite but how about our own buying habits and then we'll have to take one more commercial break um but how do our own buying habits affect how we sell? Uh,
3: that's a great question Cindy but how that affects us
2: so let's say that you
3: uh, that anyone out there listening is about to make a big purchase, a car or a, I don't know, a $5,000 TV. Let's do the TV. So if you were to approach the purchase of that TV and $5,000, I don't even know what they cost, but let's say that's, a, that's the right number. If they go online and research for hours and hours, they go to five different stores, they visit eight different retail, uh, excuse me, Internet Uh, retail uh, options, and talk to 20 people, and they read three magazine articles, and they spend a month and a half deciding on buying that TV, well, guess what? The next time that they're in in their sales role, and they encounter a prospect who wants to do the same thing relative to whatever it is that that person provides, whatever it is that they sell and they want to procrastinate and they want to research and they want to talk to forty-two different people and compare prices and on and on and on well the the business person will recognize will probably on some level recognize that this doesn't bode well for them But on another level he'll also empathize because he does the same exact kind of behavior and he won't do what it takes to get that person to make a decision because he's he's empathizing at the wrong time for the wrong reason with that prospect, and that's a, that, that, that's a big, big problem.
2: Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our next segment, Douglas. I um, want to talk, I think, our listeners would love to hear about, you know, closing the deal and strategies for dealing with objections. And, you know, this is an opportunity in the next segment to really talk about what, Summit Selling Systems does to help a salesperson get beyond, you know, some of these issues. So, everybody stand by and um, you'll learn all about closing the deal in the next segment. Don't go away.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
0: Sellability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307.
5: Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows.
0: VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com
4: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: A oh Icon Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Cleos. Call in now at 1 472 5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
2: We're back in our last segment with Douglas Coker, Summit Selling Systems. If you want to know more about Summit Selling Systems, um, you could go to www.sumsell.com. S-U-M-S-E-L-L. dot com. Douglas, we got to talk about closing the deal. So, let's talk about what. What do you tell people, and what should they be prepared for, and what do they have to do to close the deal, no matter what?
3: Okay. Well. As you can, as you could probably imagine, and I, and I think I detected a smile in your in your voice when you asked that question, is that you know it, it's uh, it, it's a pretty involved answer. But I will share a few things, of course. And that one is that the close, and this is going to sound awfully ironic, the close should be the easiest part of the whole process. Unfortunately, absent a system or even using very traditional, old-fashioned types of selling systems, an awful lot of pressure is put on both parties relative to the close. know, the prospect is sitting there wondering, when's he going to try to close me? What's his closing move? What's he going to do? When is this going to happen? How much is it going to cost? He's wondering all these things. The salesperson or business person is sitting there saying, when, when should I go for the close? When should I try? Should I do trial closes? Should I do this? Should I do that? And in in our system, uh, really the ultimate irony is that we don't even have a closing step, but it should be the absolute easiest part of the whole thing. So what that looks like, uh, to lend some specifics to what I just said, is that if you're having the right type of open and honest conversation or dialogue or series of dialogues between the provider and the prospect, then we should be coming to a mutual conclusion that doing business together either is a fit or or it isn't. So we're not trying to, in our system, we're not trying to convince anybody of anything. We find we find that to be pretty futile. Instead, what we're doing is asking the questions, finding out what the issues are, how deep they are, how what they're willing to, ready, willing, and able to invest to get rid of the problems, what their decision-making process is, and then all we have to do is present the solution or solutions, plural, to those set of criteria, and and it's an easy conclusion for both parties that it's either a fit or, or it isn't. And that's how we make the close the easiest part of the whole thing.
2: Well, it just goes to show you, if you make the sale the right way, then they're going to want to do business with you, and there shouldn't be as much pressure as on the close as conventional wisdom might say.
3: Yeah, it's... You know, both parties should be happy and comfortable. And even if there's some, uh, you know, there's some unknown, because until you start working together, you don't really know what's going to happen. But both parties should have good, positive energy about it, and it should be just a a mutual conclusion that we're coming to instead of some big, dramatic, pressure-filled close moment.
2: Yeah, no, I think that if you, you know, at the very beginning of the show, Douglas, you talked about the fact that you grew up in marketing. Um, if you marketed yourself correctly, and that's where your marketing background probably comes in very handy if you've marketed your self and your services correctly, then the clothes should kind of be a no brainer right because you've already spoken about you know the proposition you've already spoken about the package you've already spoken about the pricing that all should have been done up front rather than. You know, if if it wasn't, then um, you're probably not going to close a deal because deals don't close like magic, right? I mean, there's a lot of preparation that goes into the sale before you close a deal.
3: Yeah, and yes, it, 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 you're right. And you get all of those things done, everything that you just mentioned, you get it done up front, and then you present to what you've both agreed to, and then it's just a, it's either a, a natural fit or it's not. And, and by the way, in our system, we consider a no, a firm and final no, to be a close as well. So in our, one of the beauties of our system is that it's, it's, when executed properly, it's guaranteed 100% success. You will get an answer and therefore you will close it. No is, it, no is usually a close second to a yes, but it's far preferable over anything else, meaning any kind of non-answer or non Okay, so,
2: you know, a no is still a close because the deal, you know, you're not really getting the business, but you're still closing the deal, right? So it's yeah. on to the next thing.
3: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't mean tomorrow or next week or next month or whatever it looks like in, in that particular business that that same prospect might not be a, a viable yes. It just means right now in this moment it's a no and therefore it's a close. And that's a success. We truly look at that as a success.
2: At least you have the opportunity to meet with people, right? It might not be great for that particular gig, but there might be another gig in the future, right?
3: Well, but it, that and it's also an answer. You, you, you'd be amazed how many people to this day, and maybe even more so than ever, that and even professional salespeople who spend their entire day in professional lives in selling walk around getting, run around getting no answers from prospects.
2: Well, you you mentioned to me when we were preparing for this show a little bit, Douglas, prospects are always saying they need to think it over or something similar. And, um, you know, you got to get them to make a decision. So I guess the victory in the close, whether you get the business or not, is you're not staying in that, you know, purgatory land. (laughs) Yeah, it's draining. You know, it's it, it, it's draining, and um, why waste your time and energy with it when your energy could be focused on, you know, the next best thing, right? So, you know, since we have another minute or two left, best strategy for dealing with objections, Douglas? Any tips?
3: Sure, sure. The and this again is in our system. We have a very non-traditional approach. The traditional approach is somebody objects by saying, "Whatever, your price is too high." And then, and then the salesperson gets crazy explaining why the value is there and in fact the price isn't high or maybe they lower their price. What we do, and that's just one example, there's dozens of objections, is that the, we, we, we find that the only person who can truly deal with the objection is the person who made it. So if the person says the price is too high or you're too short or you're too tall or whatever it may be, they've got to get past that. So uh, what we train people to do is to ask the questions, to find out why they just said that, what they really mean by it, what's behind it, what are they, what's the emotions and the thinking behind it, and help them come to a conclusion that they, in fact, should get past that objection or they shouldn't. We don't make ourselves crazy trying to turn everybody, you know, try to convince anybody of anything or trying to turn everybody into our customer. In fact, all we're ultimately doing is looking for truth and clarity. The ultimate truth and clarity is that we should be working together or we shouldn't be. And there's a million pieces of truth and clarity that go along uh, along the way to getting that, that that final answer.
2: Right. And in conclusion, just to land on a very optimistic note, for people, you know, that might be just starting out in sales or are making the transition into sales for whatever reason, um, I'm sure you see a lot of success in the summit selling systems in, you know, teaching somebody or, you know, educating somebody to become better at selling or in basic sales skills, I'm sure you see a lot of success stories.
3: Uh, at, of course, absolutely. I mean, we're we've... I was in the airport the other day and ran into an attorney. We have almost 40 law firms as clients around the country and ran into an attorney and he was with his wife and he, it was, it was like out of a movie. And he ran up to me and he introduced his wife. He said, This is the guy, this is the guy. What guy, what guy? The wife says, This is the guy who helped me learn how to finally sell what it is that I do so well for a living. This is the reason why we're going to Hawaii. I mean it was it, 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 it was unbelievable. I'm getting the chills just just thinking about it, and oh. you know two two years before the guy was struggling to hold on to his practice.
2: Well, there you go. There's a success story. It's wonderful when you get to see those people, Douglas. Well, we are coming to the end of the show. I told you it would go very, very fast. We want to thank you for joining us for the hour, talking a little bit about summit selling systems and you know what you know, how you could sell better and that sales and closing, at least, shouldn't be so hard. And um, you could take a look at the website, www.sumsell.su.m.s.e.l.l.com to learn more about Douglas Colker and his business with the Summit Selling Systems. Douglas, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Cindy.
0: Psycho